Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award-winning novel, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, as well as Pretty Ugly, and the very recently released The Japanese Box and Other Stories. Joining me today, as always, is my Vox Vomitus vixen, Alison Martin, author of The Bourbon Books, which includes dibs since September, Move on Melinda, and Climb the Salmon Ladder. Joining us today from the wilds of Massachusetts is Bracken McLeod, here to talk about all things writing, but also his book, Closing Costs, which uh, Allison and I binge read, read over the weekend oh, and listened, binge listened. Uh, I haven't. You know, it's funny. I haven't heard the uh, I haven't heard the audiobook. They let me uh, they let me listen to audition tapes from the readers and and have a say on which one I thought was best. And they went with the with the woman who I thought did you know sort of the best job in her audition. Um, but I haven't heard the whole book. It's uh, so I hope it was it was uh, it was listen. great. It was great. Your your narrator nailed it. So I I find it's very funny because the number of people we've talked to who are like, yeah, I actually haven't listened to my book. And I'm like, wouldn't you immediately? And then I realize going ahead and listening to your own stuff has to be just crazy. I haven't listened to mine. I get embarrassed. I listen to yours. It's crazy difficult. It it is. I got like a chapter in and I'm like, I'm going to have a panic attack. I can't do it. Because then I'm also like, I should have written that line better. Like, that's weird. (laughs) That or it's like, that's not how I meant it to be delivered because I know there's sometimes there were lines, not necessarily in this book, but there are sometimes I hear lines in a book and I go, you know, if I were the narrator, I would have delivered it slightly differently because sometimes you wonder if that's what the author intended. Like it comes across straight and maybe it should have been kind of humorous and you never really know, did they ask the narrator, how is this supposed to be? Or they're just doing their own interpretation come hell or high water or. Yeah, no, the, the only questions that, that uh, a narrator, all the murderer has ever sent to me are usually pronunciation questions. Yeah. How do you pronounce this name? How do you pronounce this place? And especially since you know all my, almost all my books are set in in Massachusetts. There's a lot of how do you pronounce this place? Yeah. It always. <laughs> it. Oh, I know. Billerica. <laughs> no, it's Billerica. It, it, it killed. Uh, um, oh, I forget the uh, the actress's name. The woman who played Captain Janeway on Voyager. Or not Voyager. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyways, she narrated Joe Hill's Nosferatu. Oh. Uh, and there's a whole bunch name, of... Names Kate something, and I'm blanking on her last name right now. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, and Nosferatu is just filled with, like, the worst New England well, town names so possible. Whole, takes place in Haverhill. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> you mean Haverhill? And, and Haverhill, <laughs> time she pronounces it Haverhill. And my wife, you know, listens to audiobooks when she drives in to work. And, and she's and just she's like... writing... Oh, I don't every like time. But it's not her well, fault. Was, she's from California. Nobody tells her it's Averill. Well, and I was going to say, Bracken, you've got one of the recurring things in the book is Nell's last name is Pereira, yeah. and they're saying it like Pariah and all sorts of oh, things. Wow, so yeah. if they aren't saying it correctly the first time, the narrator would literally have to go back to the first time it was said and get all of those takes corrected. Because um, I do know I follow one of the narrators who I just love, Natalie Natus, and she will, or maybe her last name's Natus. I don't even know that, but she will be like, <laughs> Oh, when the when the author says on page three hundred that this guy has an, a Russian accent, which wasn't done before, then she's like, I will kill you. I will find you, and I will kill you. We have to go back and put the Russian accent in from the beginning. Like, that, that actually was a really pleasant surprise on a different novel I wrote called Stranded, 
um, which is a which is a sci-fi uh, horror novel set in the Arctic. But there's a there's a character in that book who I wrote with the intention of him being uh, Quebecois, you know, mm-hmm. sort of francophone. But you know, nice. all this dialogue is in is in English. But his name uh, is Serge, and and no one ever asked me. But the the narrator on that book, he just assumed he was going to have this Quebecois accent. And so he gave it to him. And I was like, what? Yes. <laughs> you did it. So yeah, I didn't do that. Um, it's not Surge. Yeah, surge. exactly. Surge protector. Was, he, he nailed it so wonderfully. So anyway, so I'm glad to hear that the narrator on, on Closing Costs was right. That is awesome. And oh, I know we just, we kind of jumped right into the whole like interview of it all. Um, okay, before we get too far into your beer and my Sazerac and the interview, uh, Tell our viewers a little bit about who you are. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I'm I'm that guy who was terrible at everything he ever did until I started writing. That's a great I mean, You know, my, my past is littered with the debris of other careers. So, you know, I started out, I, w- I used to be a martial arts uh, instructor. And then I taught uh, philosophy at, at Colorado State University for a while as, a, as an adjunct for a very short time. Uh, went to law school and I spent about 11 years practicing law. I know, I'm like, you and Allison have something in common. And then quit so that I could be uh, a full-time writer and a stay-at-home dad, um, which was the best decision I ever made because those are the Same only two. Except We get a lot of former lawyers on this show, I think. There's a reason we're all <laughs> Scratch a lawyer, find a writer, you know, mm-hmm. I, I tell people it's, you know, it's, it's sort of a natural progression from lawyer to writer, especially if you're a litigator, mm-hmm. because, you know, no jury in, in America is ever swayed by raw fact. You can, you can tell people like two plus two is four. Therefore you must rule that four is the answer. And they'll be like, except somebody, well, it might be five. On a jury goes, but I like the guy with the five better. he's more likable yeah so the whole you know the whole profession is about storytelling it's about creating a narrative that people that six or twelve people can identify with and apply that kind of um i hesitate to say prejudice but apply that kind of affinity right for the story you've told to the facts um but yeah, no, the idea that a trial is a search for truth is is Right, and that's on the X Files. If we're searching for the truth, it's out there. If you want, you know, if you want truth, uh, you know, I don't know, go to a go to so, an archaeology yeah. class or something. But yes, yes. Well, and I was I was enjoying. I was looking at your website because I I did the little banner down below, and so I always look at the website first. And I laughed so hard because I love this term, but I want to know what you mean by it. But you list yourself as an author and a horror secularist, and I'm like secular secular horrorist. And instead yeah. of like a, a instead of like a a faithful horrorist, like because for me that's the diversion. You know, faith versus secular right, right. religiosity versus. And I was assuming it meant basically horror without a supernatural element. Is that's that that's pretty I much mean? exactly it. It's naturalistic. I that term. Yeah, and I know that people don't like horror that doesn't have that extra. So right, horror. Right. You know, when I when I'm doing this stuff, I tend to go in more of a, a Jack Ketchum direction than a Stephen King one. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there are occasions, like I said, Stranded is a supernatural, uh, you know, sort of sci-fi horror. Um, 
But you know, I think of although they, you know, they they plug it as a novel of suspense. I know. I was like, thank you for telling me it was a novel of suspense. I never would have known. <laughs> Even though they put that on the cover, I think of this as a horror novel because it's in the same vein as you know, sort of your traditional home invasion. It is. Horror. Yeah, and we've got ourselves like a pretty kick-ass final girl. Yeah. That was. Well, yeah. And I was and like, I'm, this gave me Halloween vibes. And I was um, joking as far as the, the title, the reason they put it, it's like a horror or it's suspense is because people are going to like, so it's about getting a home mortgage because yeah, I mean, that's it's a real estate <laughs> book. But people are dumb. And if they're just clicking on, on Amazon yeah. and they type in how to learn about closing costs, they get your book and they're like, this is not what I was looking for. This is I not. Know. This is like, oh, still, gosh, I, I never want to move actually, to the yeah, It's funny because. You know, yeah, if you called this a horror novel, I would get a ton of people who would be upset because there's no monster. I mean, no supernatural monster. I was say, there's, there's a monster. Right, there's, there's a monster. Yeah, there, there's a couple in there, but, yeah. but there's no supernatural element. And, you know, so, of course, you get those people who are sort of purists, genre purists, who feel like if it's not supernatural, it's not horror. And, and that's fine. They're yeah. entitled to that. To that and uh, I've had people <laughs> say to me, like, I have, like, a ghost element in one of my books, or two of my books, and they're just like, well, it still wasn't horror just because there's a ghost in it. I wasn't scared. And I'm like, you don't know what horror is. That's just subjective. I wasn't scared, so it's not horror. That's exactly. projecting right, on the material. You know, and that's and again, that's their experience with the book, but that's not that 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 doesn't mean that that it's misclassified. Yeah. Well, it's like saying- I saw somebody, I saw a friend of mine online, I think he was, you know, he was just sort of shit shit posting and and trying to be um trying to be controversial and he was what was what was his his take he had a hot take which was uh if it has a happy ending it's not horror i think you know and and of course it's um define happy yeah define define happy you know and all (laughs) these things and it was just so it was it was reductive in a way that that i was like you know eh, disagreed but but everybody has an idea about what it is. I think it's a big tent, and a lot of a lot of different things fit under the horror, um, you know, penumbra. But um, yeah, because yeah, closing costs was definitely yeah. horrifying to me. Uh, yeah. Home invasions, like I'm just so petrified, and I'm more petrified now that I live out in the middle of nowhere. Right. You live with, in that house almost with like the no neighbors, and I could stand yeah. in the middle of the road and scream. There's still no one here. Yeah, right. yeah, that's like all I could think after like reading it for the past couple of days, like I was turning off the lights last night and I just like stared out into my dark yard and I'm like, <laughs> my weirdo Republican neighbors could be about to break in any moment. <laughs> okay. And Regina wants to know, is there a horror novel that attempts to define happiness? And I don't, I don't quite know. That's life, Regina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, life. But I mean, the only, when I think about happiness in terms of an ending, I think more of the romance genre where they require a happily ever after. Otherwise it is a fiction or even a tragedy with a romance element or a love story. Like anybody who thinks Romeo and Juliet is a romance is confused. That's a tragedy, but there will be people who will still argue on that. But I've never heard horror needing to have a specific ending because you can defeat the beast or not defeat the beast it's still horror because there is a beast human or otherwise oh bracken we can't hear you we lost you one sec and i'll read i'll read regina's question or does horror in some way by the nature of the drama define happiness oh no she says drama was supposed to be genre so does horror by some way by the nature of the genre genre define happiness oh my bad 
You're very good. You're cutting out. Oh, technology. I don't like right. technology. Let me. Um, we can hear you. Oh, you're good. Yeah, great. Um, Bracken's back. Bracken's back. Release the Bracken. I said I wasn't going to. Do it. I didn't. Uh, we made it 12 minutes in before Release the Bracken came out. <laughs> as, a, as a romance, it's, it's, you know, it's hilarious because it's very clearly a tragedy. It's, you know, two teenagers fall in love and in the course of a long weekend get six, you know, different people killed before killing themselves. You know, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, the feel good story of the. <laughs> of all time. Exactly. But it's got some pretty words in it, so it must be romantic. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the whole idea of happiness in horror, I think, is, is you know, I think horror requires a certain amount of happiness because that has to be disrupted, right? The, you know, what 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 gives us pleasure and, and, what, and what brings us, you know, enough joy in order to maintain sanity in a, you know, <laughs> in a really rough world. Um, you know, is 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 the thing that's under assault in a horror film, right? And and part of this, I think, is why horror often is such a uh, conservative genre because it's really about trying to restore the status quo. We were happy before, and here comes this big disruptive thing. And in order to be happy again, we must right return to the to the past. I mean, you know, that's why Clive Barker's work was so transformative for me as a writer because he. Uh, his work was the first time I read something where we were happy in the past, but here comes this big giant monster, and and at the end everything's changed, and we must redefine who we are, what life is like, because um, you know that disruption is transformative, and that's you know, and that's what I tried to do in, in closing classes. You know, I, I, I hate it when uh, when there are no consequences to a story that's as traumatic as. You know, uh, a hotel keeper, you know, goes crazy and, and hatchets his whole family to death. And then. <laughs> that sounds familiar. It sounds familiar, right? But, you know, but if the if the sequel is just like, oh, well, you know, mother and son grew up happy and healthy and well-adjusted, then, right. Then, then you didn't read Dr. Sleep. <laughs> right. Now, King didn't do that. I mean, you know, Dr. Sleep has a lot of consequences for Danny as an adult. But, you know, that's the kind of thing. That, that I dislike in storytelling. I, it, it's part of the reason I don't do any series or sequels is just because the people in these in the books I write end up so traumatized that You're like uh, I don't want to even deal with you. Yeah, no, the, the book two would just necessarily have to be like therapy, the novel. <laughs> right. It, it, nobody needs that. I mean, um, people need therapy, but they don't need to read. The need, nobody needs to read. Um, yeah. Um, I have to ask. So I I read your um your afterword in closing costs or the author notes, and you talked about the emotional toll it took on you to write characters that were so similar to you and your wife. Was she upset that <laughs> about all of this? No, actually, no. She, you know, uh, my wife is she's super supportive of um, <laughs> of my career as a writer and all that, and she was really. Uh, she was really into it because, you know, because it was easy for her to connect with these characters right away. Um, other people, not so much, because I think, you know, I did put a lot of shorthand. They're not a one, one-to-one correlation between me and her. Her name is Heather. Between me and Heather, you know, there's a little bit of Evan in both of us, a little bit of Nell in both of us, and and that. And, um, and that's what kind of made it really hard to write, is you spend, you know, six, seven hours a day, as long as my son is at school, you know, is when I work, 
thinking about the worst possible thing that could happen to you and your family. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, you know, Heather comes home and, and my son, our son comes home and I'm, you know, and I'm like, ah, oh, happy times, my family, but it's still in my head. You know, like, You're like, oh, I shouldn't have heard you. I always get really be like, and it, it's funny because you know, closing costs was a reaction to uh, the other book, Stranded, where I had to do a ton of research because I didn't know anything about the oil industry or or maritime shipping or you know the Arctic, and I just had to really, really go deep on all of these things. I said, well, the next book I write, I don't want to do any research. I just want to... I just want it to be take place in my neighborhood. Exactly. So I'm going to set, set it literally in my house. Like, <laughs> the book is my house. And, you know, I'm going to set it in my house, and I'm going to base the main characters off of me and my wife, and then it'll be so easy because there's no research. And now it was... It was, it was the opposite. It was so just... The opposite way. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was nightmare-inducing, you know, like, lose sleep over it, and, yeah, so... But, I, you know, I looked at, at the end of the day, the book is... I love the book. You know, and, and a lot of other people seem to seem to dig it all as well, but yes. it, was hard, it was hard work to throw so much of myself into it and kind of live in that headspace. You know, I think there are, there are moments in the book, like when... Uh, you know, they're in the basement and Nell's kind of scooching the chair to see if she can get yeah. to the point. Where I, I did that. So I'm like, I wonder how hard that would be. So I went down to the basement. <laughs> You're like, honey, can you tape me to a chair? Yeah, and, and grabbed my shitty Ikea chair and kind of like gripped it really hard and kind of hopped over to the wine rack. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, she could do this, she could do this. <laughs> That's and, well, and one of the things I cracked up at is you had, I'm assuming it's an Easter egg that Nell works for a particular funeral home with a certain a certain name. And I'm like, hi, Trembly Mortuary. But it's also, yeah, <laughs> at first I was like, Trembly Mortuary. Oh, it's after Paul. And then once I realized it was Tony Trembly, I'm like, oh no, that's just very clearly Tony. <laughs> Funny. Um, I was like, Tony, did he win a contest or? <laughs> no, no. Tony features in another book. The same character, Tony Tremblay, the, the, the mortician. Nice. He's in another book that I wrote called Come to Dust, which is about uh, dead kids that come back to life. And, Uplifting. And so, exactly. <laughs> and so there's a scene. I'm like, in the that sounds like a Jennifer Ann Gordon book right there. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I cast Tony in it. Uh, as just kind of a, a little homage to my friend. The funny thing was, at the exact same time, he was writing a book called The Moore House. And the main character in The Moore House is this Catholic priest uh, whose last name is McLeod. You know, nah. <laughs> and, and poor Tony, because what I did in my book was, was Tony is a source of comfort and support for the people in this book. He's a, a sweet, kind person, just like the real Tony. I was going to say, he is. <laughs> exactly. But in his book, uh, he made McLeod a uh, a a whoring drunk. Uh, oh, I resemble that remark. <laughs> <laughs> and so he felt guilty. He's like, oh, it's like sorry, I made you a total shit in my book. <laughs> exactly. The best part of this. We do it in one to one swap. There did we? Yeah, no, it wasn't quite one to one. But the best part of that is if if. You know, whenever he does a reading with Father McLeod describing the character, it's not comedy. See, it's not written to be funny. But if I'm in the room, everyone's laughing. <laughs> You're just like, that's the guy. <laughs> 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 You're gonna show up at his readings like totally cosplayed as a priest too, and just like sit there. Like, like all you gotta do is one little call, and you're like, I, I am, I am the priest from the book. You didn't read the book. You should have read the book. I'm Father McLeod. 
Well, and, and I loved the fact, like you said, you didn't have to do any research, but for anybody who's ever bought a house. So like I joke, it's not about, it's not a, it's not a tutorial of how to buy a house, but obviously that features centrally in it. And then the idea of, okay, this, this purchase of a house becomes this nightmare and here's why. And all these things, all the chickens that are coming home to roost here. I love that. But it's like, yeah, buying a house in of itself is a nightmare. And I have a friend who just bought a house and I have not told her I read this book because she'd be like, would you stop? <laughs> like, what do you know about the people who used to own exactly. the house? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, one of the assistant editors who worked on this book told me that she and her husband were looking to buy a new house while she was working on this book, and the book convinced them to just refinance what they already had. But you know, it's, it's, I, I say I didn't do any research. I had to do some research because um, because there are elements. Because uh, I'm assuming you're I, not fluent in Russian. I'm not fluent in Russian. I had a friend of mine who is who grew up in Moscow. Uh, she helped me with all the Russian. Um, and it was it was actually very funny because she's a, 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 a very sweet person who doesn't swear. And I have the Russian characters in this book saying absolutely vile shit. Yeah, so and, my husband's Russian, so I recognize. Okay. And he has only taught me really vile things to say. <laughs> so, yeah. so I was like, oh, I recognize that word. I was like, next time you need Russians to swear, call Jennifer's husband because he will not be upset about saying right. those things. You don't have to upset your friends. It was it was a funny afternoon sitting around the dinner table with my friend Katya and the manuscript in front of me and being like, okay, so how would he say? Yeah. <laughs> I would never. It's just like, oh, Rebecca, I, can't, I cannot even say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I won't say the, my one Russian phrase that I know. But my husband thought it would be absolutely hysterical to teach me a really, really filthy phrase that he told me was, thank you for inviting me into your home. It's beautiful. And he wanted me to say this to his parents. No! Um, luckily, wait, no, way back then, they didn't speak to me because they oh, called no. me a demon witch whore. Well, um, yeah. But now they've come around. And they finally like me. So the last time we visited, I was like, this is the phrase I know that your son taught me. And I said it. And they were like, Roman, why would you make her say those words? <laughs> because I think there is that, that phrase or that tendency to be when you have knowledge of another language, the thing you want to share is the bad stuff. So I know very little Hebrew. But when I was in swim in high school, I was taught all the bad words by my friend who was newly from Jewish school and was like, I have non-Jewish friends now. What can I teach them? <laughs> it's like that's what I need to share. Like, all right. I remember. I remember in high school, we, I was friends with a foreign exchange student who was. Um, he was from. Uh, uh, shoot, well, uh, he, I think he was from Denmark, right? And um, and he loved swearing in English. Absolutely <laughs> loved. Who doesn't? <laughs> Right. And so he would just say like the most assaultive, vile things to you, just <laughs> casually, you know, as like way of greeting. And I was the best, you know, because I because by the time I got to high school, like, you know, I, when I was a when I was younger, I lived in, in Southern California, you know, San Diego, and then we moved uh when I you know, when I was older up to Idaho. And you know, it was this very sort of like small conservative religious town. I'm and sorry. Were scared, you know, and, and because it was it was a it was a Mormon town, a lot of people would would creatively swear, so they'd say like you know, feck or feck it, cheese know, and rice. Yeah, cheese and rice. So, and he'd lay out and he'd be like, uh, Bracken, your mother fucks like a greyhound in heat. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you're like, why? Uh, <laughs> like, I don't even know what really that means, but okay. Yeah, oh, exactly. like really fast is what I'm picturing I mean, it. Honestly, <laughs> and yeah, bony. So, Knowing nothing else about so your life, I mean, I know you said that you ended up as as a writer because you all these other things you didn't didn't nail the way you wanted to nail. But I can see why you're a horror writer because having to go from San Diego, which is oh, one yeah. of the most beautiful, amazing places to live, to a little conservative town in Idaho, seems <laughs> like I have just been moved to hell, the seventh layer like, of hell. Please let me know. Transition because you know because. <laughs> Who were you a goth kid back then? I was a, well, so you know, it was a little, it was a little, I was, I ended up being a goth, a goth kid later in high school and, and in college as an adaptation because when I got, you know, because in Idaho I was a punk kid, like, so I had, you know, bleach white hair that stuck up, you know, this high, and, you know, and all this stuff. And I was, at the, you know, and, and uh, ears pierced and the whole thing. And I was the only kid in the entire town who looked like this. As a matter of fact, I remember parents actually went uh, to the school and demanded like the, the principal expel me because they were afraid that I was going to like hurt them. Oh my that God. I was because was it like satanic panic time? Too? Yeah. Was it, oh, it, no, like, it was late right 80s. But I mean, that was going on into the 90s and stuff because yeah. so my, my older sister, she was in California and worked for Borders back when there was a Borders and she got moved by her boss to open a store in Boise. And at the time oh. she had, she had like magenta hair and stuff and she didn't look super punk, but literally she told us she was only there for maybe a year and was like, please get me the hell out of here. But she would go to a restaurant and people would come out of the kitchen to look at her. Like they had never seen. And that girl has pink hair. She has weird <laughs> hair. That's brilliant. Look at that. And it was, it was, it was just, yeah, not a good time in, in her life. And it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was definitely a tough move. And it, you know, and, and it did, it taught me a lot of things about people. The reason I didn't get expelled was because one teacher um, who, who taught a class that was, that was, it was called basic law. Right. Yes. Um, he knew that I was a good, you know, and, and he stood up for me and explained to these people, you know, he explained to them basically that, that all of the kids that end up, um, and oh, by the way, Regina's tarot and witchcraft is absolutely right about that. We can talk about that in a second, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, he was like, look, all the kids that get expelled from this school for, for drugs and fighting and all this stuff, you know, they're the normal looking kids. Yeah. Not this guy. Happened, yeah. you know, that's around me because I was impossible not to see because I stood out so much. So there was no in any kind of trouble because all eyes were always on me. Yeah. But he was like, this kid can't get away with anything if he wanted to. Yeah, we exactly. would have from a mile away. And Re Regina says, I'm not convinced the satanic panic ever truly went away. I think it's just kind of morphed. Well, yeah, now we're now we're scared of drag queens reading to children. And we're scared of drag queens. Well, we, we're scared of books. We're, we're scared, scared of science. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, we're a, there's of a, a bathroom. There's a fantastic there's a fantastic book uh, by a uh, cultural anthropologist, I think is, is what he is officially, or maybe he's a psychologist. Anyway, uh, um, Stanley Cohen in the 60s wrote a book called Folk Devils. And he was he was examining at the time the cultural phenomenon of like mods and uh, mods and rockers in England, you know, um, sort of pre, uh, you know, sort of pre-skinhead Okay. Uh, culture like and the, the original skinheads like the jamaican influence yeah. uh, sort of anyways and and he had this theory that you know that that they don't go away they just kind of morph into whatever um uh social ill 
society wants to put on these people. So if you're afraid of crime, you know, you're afraid of these, of these, you know, the mods and rockers over here who are, who are violent and, and obviously lawless and, and do drugs. If you're afraid of the devil, then, well, here are the metalheads and the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. You know, if you're, and today, what it is, if you're, you know, if you're afraid of, of, of um, people who, it, it, it so often, you know, falls on children as the target because everyone wants to support saving children, right? If you want to be opposed to uh, uh, people who are who are abusive toward children, well, then you find the groomers, right? And they're always the people that you can't miss, yeah, right? because that's the easiest one to demonize. That's the easiest and they're, you know, and they're people, never the trans ones. people, and yeah. you know, and you go, okay, these are obviously the perverts in our society who are in danger. Because children. look at them with all their tattoos and piercings. Exactly. But, you know, they when, listen to when, weird music that obviously yeah, is going to make them molest though. my kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, the real threat to most children comes from within their circle of trust. Yep. Parents, coaches, extended family. We, we pre- use pastors. Pre- yeah, pre- exactly. Pastors. Exactly. And, I mean, yeah, and I worked so, for the Boy Scouts, and part of the reason we had such well, stringent leadership training about 2D leadership and all this stuff is because of the stuff that had happened where these people who were trusted leaders did that. And I mean, most most groups have tried to do what they can to prevent people from ever being alone with children that aren't theirs, but it still happens. And it's well, that's never true. You know, that's, that's the thing about the circle of trust, right? If, yep. if you wanted to victimize, let's say, let's say you wanted to victimize uh, kids, all right? Uh, would you become a garbage collector? No. Or or uh, you know, or a priest, right? I mean, it's obvious which one gives you authority, trust, and and alone time. And alone time with, with kids with mm-hmm. your with your intended victim. You know, if you're a garbage collector, you're never going to get the opportunity to do this nefarious thing that you that you want to do. No, exactly. No, right. I would be a little league coach because I don't want to have to go to seminary and learn Greek because I think that's because <laughs> right. I'm lazy. You know, so it, you know, if you're yeah, if you're you know, if you're inclined to, if you're inclined to steal a million dollars, yeah, you don't, you know, you don't become a school teacher, you become an investment. Bank. I was going to say, school right. teachers aren't getting anywhere near a million dollars. I feel like school yeah. teachers get paid negative $30,000 a year. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, part of it, I mean, my husband goes back to school tomorrow. So I say this in all the, oh, look, look at the, the mug. I, oh, teachers, blah. Okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, because half of them have to spend their own money for their own supplies and all this stuff. And it's, it's true, but, but beyond that, and again, the two deep leadership is like a huge thing. And if people did that, that would be so much more helpful, but instead of looking at people, they look different. So let's judge them and assume the worst. Um, there are bad things that happen well, to kids. Reference and, here, but. You know, and, and it's easy. It's also easy to, to blame marginalized people who don't have the, the social power to stand up for Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, to blame, if you blame metalheads and, and D&D nerds in the 80s, I mean, we had no social power whatsoever. No, we right? did not. And, you and really so, have any now. And so, have, well, like, as opposed to now, when us D&D well, nerds are I like, mean, I got you know, all the power. Now you've got, like, you know. This Matt is Mercer the problem right here. <laughs> Sorry, right. I'm just grabbing crap off my husband's and, desk. And people with a real platform who could stand up and defend themselves, you know, exactly. on or whatever. But back then, there was none of that. And this is what you're talking about, you know, when, when you when you when you frame... Uh, trans people as a threat to children. Like, what kind of social power, um, you know, does this, uh, you know, does this group actually have? Are they able? Do they have a big pulpit where they can just go on the TV anytime and defend themselves? No, they're just, they're just decent people trying to live their lives for the yeah, most part. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be some asshole in every group, but the but the fact is, they're just like you and me. They're trying to live their lives. They're trying exactly. to. Yeah. 
or as Regina says, if you're afraid of pee, because that's what they're doing in the bathroom is they're, they're peeing. Yeah. yeah yeah no and and i i would i would i did mumble under my breath there that there are some bad things that happen to children in your book but they don't happen like in your they book that, yep. so, so just like, something that's like a bothersome thing don't that it shouldn't be an issue to anybody because there aren't any children that are really in the book it's all bad adults being bad adults yeah <laughs> adult on adult violence and then we lost you again shake your computer do a fall shake your computer yeah, just like punch just the computer it. like it's um oh, an old jukebox. Dance break. Just dance break. Oh, now we're voguing. This is why Jennifer is the dance instructor because she's like all beautiful, and I'm like Muppet. <laughs> just doing that. Yeah, no, the, 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 <laughs> well, Jennifer Rockin's book. It's it has multiple storylines of all the okay. Yeah, and, Jen, and Regina says we need to slap Mercury out of our trade for, for Bracken's computer, too. Correct. No, but like there's multiple storylines of adults doing adult things related to jobs and the house and all this stuff. They all converge, but there are there are children as like backstory characters, but you don't ever hear or see anything. Yeah, it's, it, I'm glad that that fun. was, um, yeah. I don't want to say glossed over, but it yeah. wasn't, no, no, it's, it's, we didn't hear yeah, the details. It, it, as history and background and motivation, but um, but it's a it's a line for me as a writer. Like I, you know, I get asked all the time, like, is there a line you won't cross? And the line I won't cross, uh, being a survivor of child sexual abuse, is I don't depict child abuse in my work. Now it's in there because um, you know because it happens, and 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 it I happens. Think- and honestly, there's nothing more horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, sometimes for the character, it's in their backstory. It's motivating. It's a reason why they make choices that they do. But I don't. Everybody, I don't need to. I don't need to raise consciousness about child abuse by depicting it because everybody, everybody already knows. Mm-hmm. It's like we've been having this conversation since the eighties, right? <clears throat> the you know what what's an important element to put in the book is how that affects people into adulthood or how that affects the kind of choices that people make in their lives that lead to bad outcomes. Um, you know, and so just writing a page where somebody's, you know, uh, slapping a kid around, I have, I have no interest in it because I don't think it, it, it provides any insight into the phenomenon. Right. I mean, it's more important to get inside either character's head. Mm-hmm. Why is that person, why do they think they have to slap this kid around? Right. What I, makes that uh, villain tick? Yeah, or... I, I, I have a similar issue with like depictions of of adult sexual assault. You mm-hmm. know, right? Because um, because I I don't think you shouldn't be able to write about it. I think it absolutely needs to be confronted, but it shouldn't be confronted in a way that's titillating or that is glorifying uh, it glorifying it or whatever i mean you know, or they're, even they're, making they're, it seem like it's not that big a deal mm-hmm. you know and some of them do it very well and some of them just do it terribly and mm-hmm. and um you know but it, it, and so it's tricky so i always try to to maneuver around these issues in a way that is uh uh hopefully if i'm successful gives you some insight into people and their and their experiences as opposed to just being well if i said if if this guy sexually assaults her then he's clearly a victim yeah you know there are so many 
there are so many ways to establish that someone's a bad person without without um, doing a big long. You know, well, and I think one of the things you handled really well is you got in multiple people's heads here and you could see, I mean, not for every character that was there, but there were multiple people that we would see. This is why they were making the choices they made. And this is why they reacted the way they did. Even if us having read somebody else's point of view are thinking this person is horrible. And then we see their take on themselves and they're not horrible. They, they're justified well, they, in feeling this way. Yeah, they don't feel the like point. they're horrible, but yeah, they're and, still gross. <laughs> and even, even if we're like, oh, hearing why you think you aren't horrible makes me realize how horrible you really how horrible are. You really yeah. are. Yeah, no, any, any, minute, any minute that you spend inside Mac's head in that book, yeah. you know, oh. that's they're not they're not thoughts that I have on my own without sort of having to force myself into that space. Um that's good to know. know. But but you, <laughs> I did want to depict him as a real person. Mm-hmm. You know, with with a motivation, with a grudge, you know, he's sort of a stand-in for toxic masculinity and, and incel culture, and you know, and and the idea of male entitlement. This book is all about male entitlement, and that he feels like he can have everything he feels like he deserves. That life has to right, be. like right. he <laughs> deserves the mistress and the wife and the house exactly. and a house and a dog that loves him and you know, and all of this stuff. And, and when he's denied it, right. Uh, it, 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 it strikes at his, at his very kind of core, like his identity is the things he owns. Right. And, um, and so, you know, that's kind of the, 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 uh, the point of view I needed him to have. Is yeah. I mean, he was really, really right. gross, but I felt like he was a, an actual person and not yeah. like a mustache twirling caricature yeah. of like, I'm the crazy man. I'm like, yeah. oh no. There, there are I'm other making... characters in the book who, who end up kind of appearing more like forces of nature and that's intentional as well. Right, right. Yeah. And, right. and I was going to say, I liked the fact that you even got us inside his wife's head because sometimes we end up going, well, why was the wife, why did she ever marry that guy? I mean, didn't she know? And the fact that you handled it perfectly in saying, he was a certain way during the courtship period, and then things started changing. And, and that is what happens. And that is, and, and I feel like even and even not in abusive relationships, just in normal relationships, that just happens where everyone's doing their best, and then when you're locked in, and now you're stuck with this person, and yes, you would you could possibly leave, but there's a lot of now. You what what would you have to give up to leave? Well, Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, now that we're married, I can stop going to church. Now that we're married, I'm going to get X, Y, Z that I never got before. And it's like, no, now that you're married, it's exactly the same. You should be the same the person. Yeah. You should be the same person. Right. Yeah. But, um, but now you're in this, you know, in this legal partnership and, mm-hmm. you know, and it is kind of, it's a weird mythology. I think that I mean, it probably strikes all people, but I think men a little bit more, you know, probably a lot more is this idea that, that once I'm married, I can be my true self. Mm. Like, yeah. you know because i can like and it's like hey, you know you should have been your true self in the first yeah right. yes <laughs> yeah well, thank you bracken yeah. <laughs> yeah and i think you also hear things about like saying one partner thinks the other one will change another one is hoping their one won't and everybody does change but it's those expectations and hearing just oh this person expected to get this out of life or that out of life and then when that didn't happen 
what their reaction was. But oh, yeah, the, no, no, says no, the POV no. sections were crazy scary. And they were because we weren't just in one person's head. And I like that we we moved without. I mean, and we also weren't always just in the moment of when things start going wrong. We see how they led up to it. But I felt you did a really good job of keeping the tension throughout by doing that because yeah. you'd leave you'd leave somebody in the basement. And then it's like, now they're looking at houses. And it's like, <laughs> I also loved seeing the same scene from different point of views. Like, yeah. so what's happening in the basement versus what's happening in the, in the Prince room. You know, <laughs> um, do you have a Prince room? Do you have well, a, I, no, we, d- we don't, we have, we have the room I'm sitting in, we call the gray room. Oh, um, that's not the nearly are, as eloquent as the, the walls are great. It's not nearly as eloquent, but I thought it had a little bit more, a little bit more uh, cheeky, cheeky humor to have a that's the prince room. Well, that not being able to have somebody else instantly know that it's the prince room because it's purple. That's an easy cultural shorthand. You mentioned yep. prince, purple is immediately exactly like the second it was like the prince room, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's purple. <laughs> I'm like, it's purple, and then I was like, oh, my fainting couch would look great in there. <laughs> it's like dumb me decorating your imaginary house, <laughs> which is I funny. I have a chaise lounge in the uh, in the in the other room. Well, and and Jen, then you can be the dream wife who wants to do the home decorating business. Oh I mean, God, I don't think anybody's ever called me a dream wife in my life. Including <laughs> my husband. The dream wife. You're the dream wife. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, yeah, in a way. <laughs> Dreams, nightmares. I mean, everybody. That's a different way. And and so Bracken, so this book has already come out. Are you working on something else right now? Yes, I'm, that was I'm working on something else. I've, I've been working on a book for, for a couple of years that, that I'm actually taking a pause on because um because I, <laughs> I I I generally have a rule that is once I start a project, I can't do anything else until I finish that project. Like I must finish everything I start. I wish I could. Yeah, right. But I'm kind of in a place for this, and I've and I've and I've kept to that pretty well for everything but i'm in a place with this book that i've been working on where i'm not quite sure how to end it so i need to set it aside i have a i have an outline for another book that that i'm working on right now so so i've got a, a couple of irons of the fire one of them is about uh the satanic panic and sort of the effects, <gasps> long-term effects of it over i'm sorry i just got so excited but it is like why are we so my... upset about that <laughs> I just, it's one of my <laughs> well, favorite know, it, because it reminds me of my my childhood, my teenage years. Yeah, so I mean, so many of us were defined by it, right? Especially if yeah. we were if we were alternative kids. In and the now 80s, we're just the elder 90s. goths. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, now we're elder goths exactly. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're listening. That's fun. You're listening to you know to Nitzarab uh, in the in, you know back in the day. You're you're just the devil. So <laughs> yeah, no, it resounds with a, with a people of a, of a of a certain age, you know, Gen X. <laughs> And and older millennials, I think, who live. <laughs> we're like, yeah, us. Uh, yeah, or if you're in one case, well, <laughs> I, 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 I was not the alternative. Kid. My sister was, so I'm like, all of this, I live vicariously through her. Like my mother telling my sister that no, we could not listen to Nine Inch Nails on the way home from Good Friday service because that was just in poor taste. <laughs> my mother let us listen to Nine Inch Nails, just not on just Good not Friday. Just not on the way home from service. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Friday, come on, nails standards. Up. Holiest day of the year. Sorry, I'm like, oh, that was my Catholic school <laughs> coming out right there. Holiest day of the, the year. Other thing, the other thing I'm working on is a, is a road novel uh, that's sort of like 
you know, kind of like Sam Shepard meets Clive Barker. Hot. Right. <laughs> Sorry. That just burst out. Let me get my mouth. fan. Like, I know. Oh, you give me the vapors. Ah, my, my, I do declare. <laughs> she just went Southern, ladies and gentlemen. She just went Southern. That's the Sam Shepard effect. <laughs> it just yeah, happens. It's Shepherd. like, oh my gosh, I hope somebody's wearing a cowboy hat. Um, that's weird. That's, so, yeah, weird. So that, that just that's, what, that's the Sazerac talking. That's what I've gotten to work, you know, and so it's uh, it's a little bit out because neither of those books are sold. They're, you know, they're still in progress, but oh, we get it. <laughs> that's our life. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Where it's like, I can kind of talk about it, but kind of not. I don't know. No, no. And I got I got yelled at yesterday at the coffee shop, Jennifer, because one of my friends is like, when can I fight about Jennifer's secret pro-? I'm like, not yet. Not yet. No. I feel like I just, I'm pretty sure my agent's not watching this. I feel like I should just like start sending it to people. <laughs> you send it to me, I can swear her to secrecy. She would, she would be very happy if she got it. I know. I just keep talking about like what I'm working on now. Cause I'm like, I haven't been sworn to secrecy about my ballroom dance murder book. What? <laughs> You should smile more. I'm just saying. <laughs> and here comes the violence portion of the podcast. The vi- I know when Allison and I just start screaming at each other, um, which has never happened. It really no, hasn't. No, no. There are some times that, like, you're like you have a scolding face during this? the podcast, and I'm like, <laughs> um, and then when we do the screenshots, I'm like, I swear she's not screaming at me. No, not not usually. I don't know why I look so scared. It's childhood trauma. <laughs> It's just a satanic panic. It's, it's a satanic panic. Um, Bracken, I hate to stop this conversation, but Hello. we are out of time. Oh, that's a bummer. It went so fast. We did go so fast. I know. Because um, we're delightful. And so are you. Um, everybody, <laughs> please delightful. read Closing Costs by Bracken McLeod. A novel of suspense. Or a it? novel of suspense, it tells and us. real estate intrigue. <laughs> And real estate <laughs> intrigue. Yes. And, and also, very, learn very, your very Russian swears. details on actual real estate transactions. There might be a couple in there because the lawyer in me couldn't help it. Yes. <laughs> and the lawyer in me appreciated you getting those right because I would be the one going, that's not how things happen. Paperwork. <laughs> 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 exactly. I'm like pulling on my glasses on my nose going, <laughs> you did good, Bracken. You did good. Thank you. And, and, and Allison, you did really well by only doing release the Bracken one time. I did good. I didn't even say my my Highlander joke. I, I was just gonna say we made it. Let's close it. Let's close it on it. We only have one guest on today, and may it be Bracken McLeod. Save the game material. Leave people wanting more. Yes. Where did they? <laughs> everybody who's watching this live or watching the replay or listening to it with your ear holes make sure you tune in next week when we have amber garza talking about her new book in a quiet town quiet um we will see you all next week bye